pretty cool episode today, y'all. Travis freaking Tritt. He's the man. I mean, how many good songs? Here's a quarter. Call someone who cares. It's a great day. Okay, I'll leave you alone. But the guy's got a catalog a mile long. He is a sweetheart of a gentleman, and he's got a brand new album out right now, set in stone. Some of my favorite songwriters, including Brent Cobb and Adam Hood and Dylan Carmichael, Mr. Channing Wilson, Tim Montana, they all wrote songs with Travis Tritt. They all have cuts on his new album, Set in Stone, available now. The episode, again, of course, is brought to you by the one and only, the iconic Jack Daniels Tennessee Sour Mash Whiskey. Enjoy it responsibly. Never allow underage drinking, but get this new album, Set in Stone. Get you a couple ice cubes. Get you about two fingers of Jack Daniels, Gentleman Jack, single barrel, barrel proof. I don't care. Get something Jack Daniels in your glass, on your ice, or drink it neat and listen to these tracks. Here it is. This Life Ain't For Everybody podcast, the one and only Travis Tritt. What's up, everybody? What's up? I can't tell you how excited I am right now. Like, you know, when you meet your (laughs) heroes, you, uh, you get you kind of get weak in the knees a little bit. And they said 2021 was going to be a much better year than 2020. And I'm telling you, if this reason right here isn't enough for y'all to start believing, we got new music <laughs> from the one and only Travis freaking Tritt. Like Travis Tritt, you're on the podcast, my man. How are you? I'm doing great, brother. How are you doing today? God, man. I'm just like this new album, this whole, my whole uh, soundtrack of my life is built around what you've been doing since the, 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 I mean, I graduated high school in 1993 and I don't know if there's been a day gone by since that I don't listen to your stuff. So thank you so much for being here. Oh man, I'm honored. Thank you so much. Can I show you something real quick, Trev? Sure. 2008 Grand Sierra Resort. Yeah. Look at that. Look at that. that I'll be darn everybody in the band. Except you. Except me. <laughs> How'd that happen? I don't know. It's like my my luck. I got your guitar pick and I got the band to sign it. I got the ticket right here. And yeah. I, I went out on I, I remember I saw you on the casino floor that night and I did not have I just didn't have it in me to go buggy because you were enjoying, you were recreating a little bit, and I didn't want to. Oh, I didn't want to mess with you. But well, we'll have to fix that next time I see you. Well, I'll have to put my put my John Hancock on there for you. Man, I would love that. And <laughs> I, I, I got you know so many thoughts going through my mind when I think about you know what your music has has meant to so many people over the years and. I, I I think that one thing that comes to mind, you know, when I think about Travis Tritt is just how authentic you are, my man, and how passionate you are and how close you are with your audience. And I've seen you probably 15 times now live. I've seen you full band. I've seen you acoustic. Wow. I've uh, you play in this area a lot. John Esquaga's Nugget, the Grand Sierra Resort, the Silver Legacy. Um, one concert that comes to mind right now, and I want you to tell me if you remember this: 2018 Dallas National Rifle Association. You yeah. are with one of your good friends. Rest in peace to one of my other heroes, Mr. Charlie Daniels. Yep. But you got you get called back out. You're there full band, and you guys absolutely tear the Coliseum up. Like it's an amazing Travis Tritt show. You get called back out for Devil. 
And yeah. it's you, another artist, and it's Charlie in the middle. You're on his right, left of stage, and there's another artist. I'm not going to say any names, but I've, <laughs> it was one of the funniest things that I've ever witnessed you say. You're, the lyrics are forgotten by this other artist, and the big screens <laughs> are up there, and you can clearly see Travis Tritt go, you want to rewind that one more time, Hoss? And I went, oh, man. Do you remember this at all? I remember it vividly like it happened yesterday. That artist that you're talking about, he and I have, have had more laughs about that particular night than you could ever imagine. It was just one of those, one of those situations where, and it happens to all of us, you know, for whatever reason, you get excited or, or, or whatever, and, and you just forget. You know lyrics, so uh, I, w I was glad that I was there to kind of help him along. <laughs> I just remember, like it, it's like it's Waylon esque. It's like Hoss. When you hear that word Hoss, yeah. you're like, you want to try that one more time, Hoss? And I'm like, yeah. I don't, I don't know if there was backstage that led to that a little bit. You know, like you get a little bit of adrenaline going. You might have a a cocktail or two, but there was that deal to where I was like, man, this, you know, that that's a shining moment because there's not many people that have gotten to share the stage, let alone the microphone with yeah. Travis Tritt and Charlie Daniels. And I felt so bad for the guy. Cause I'm like, yeah. dang it, man, you know, he didn't want to mess that one up. Like that's, no, you know, no. that's, that's, a, that's one that's kind of, kind of tough to get over. But you know, we all, like I said, we all had a really good laugh after it was over with. And, you know, once again, it's, it's happened to all of us at some point in, in our, in our careers. But, um, Charlie Daniels just, you know, first of all, he meant so much to me as a as a human being and as a as a, a father figure, a grandfather figure, a mentor, a dear friend. Um, he was just the guy that was the first big artist that ever took me under his wing all the way back to when we first started working together back in 1989. Uh, when I had just released my first single and I was doing a, a, a week's worth of shows at the old Sands Hotel in Las Vegas. And uh, it was for uh, NFR, National Finals Rodeo. And I went out and opened for Charlie Daniels. They didn't, I was so brand new. <laughs> they didn't even put my name on the marquee. And they put me and my band in a, in literally a broom closet for a dressing room. How do I know it was a broom closet? Because over in the corner there was a there was a big fifty five gallon drum of Zep sweeping compound. <laughs> <laughs> and Charlie was so nice, man. He came down the first night before the show, and he just poked his head in the in our little broom closet. As we're all getting ready for the show, and he's like, I just wanted to introduce myself. I'm Charlie Daniels. I just wanted to thank you guys for being a part of this of this show and, and this tour. And uh, and he looked in the room, and he looked around like that, and he went, he went uh, what is this room they've got you in? I said, well, it's our dressing room, sir. He said, I'll be damned. And he said, y'all just wait right here just a minute. And he said, I'll be right back. And he left and was gone for about maybe, I don't know, five minutes. Came back. He said, Y'all come follow me. And we followed him like a bunch of little ducklings father, following a mother duck down this long corridor. And he got to these two big double doors, and he just pushed those doors open, and that was his dressing room. And it was huge. It was big enough you could land a plane in it. I mean, it was huge. And he said, 
this is my dressing room, and from now on, it's your dressing room, too. And that's just the kind of guy he was. And at the end of the week, every time I would look off to the side of the stage when I was performing that week, I could just see the silhouette of that big hat. And he will, he watched me from beginning to end the entire week. And at the end of the week, he called me to the side and basically said, listen, I, I've been watching you every single night. And he said, I, I'm just impressed with you. I, I really... I think you're going to have a career in this business for as long as you want one. But I know that it can be tough if you're just brand new and just getting started to kind of feel like you're you're making the right decisions or you kind of need some advice because otherwise you kind of feel like a you're lost on a on a um stormy ocean with no compass. And he said, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, and I've never claimed to be, but I have been in this business for a long time. And so if there's anything that you ever have any questions about or any any things that you just want some advice on or direction or guidance or whatever, he said, here's all my phone numbers. Here's my home number. Here's my bus number, my my personal cell number, uh, all these different numbers. And he said, call me anytime, day or night. And that was something he didn't have to do, but he did it. And it meant so much to me because I used all of those numbers for many, many years through throughout the entire rest of my career, um, just getting advice from Charlie. And uh, as much as I miss him every day, I think about him every day, I was very blessed that the last two tours that Charlie Daniels did in 2018 and 2019, he did with me. And uh, I cherish, all, of course, all the great experiences that we shared going back and forth on stage and, and, and sharing the stage together. But the thing that I cherish the most is all the conversations that we had just one-on-one, -on -one, whether it be in his dressing room or my dressing room or in the one of our buses before the show or after the show, um, those will be conversations and experiences that I will remember fondly for the rest of my life. Is as big as a personality as he was and will always be, the number one thing that I always got from watching him was sweetness. When I watched him speak, yeah. when I watched him talk, he would always talk about family and grandkids and his mama yeah. and his friends. Um, you come across to me, Travis, the same way. And I want to say it by this is that, is there ego in this? Does there have to be ego in this to have staying power? Because your career is not normal. You have staying power that is amazing to watch. And from the live shows to the hits to the number ones to the top tens to which I consider the most important part of your career is the respect that you have from your peers of the Charlies and the Waylands and the Marty Stewart's and the Chris Stapletons and people that are today in their, in their mid twenties and young third, early thirties that look up to you as a mentor and as one of their heroes. Did you ever have an ego or did somebody like Charlie teach you how to, were you ever more brash than you are now? Because it seems like you're on that same playing field of sweetness and respect and treat others as you want them to treat you. Did Charlie have a, a play in that a little bit, or have you always been this way as well? Well, first of all, I, I would have to say that anybody that's in this business as an artist uh, that tells you they don't have some of an ego 
is lying to you because you have to have that in order to be able there's so much competition and there's so much out there that that will literally crush you if you don't have the ability to be able to go out there and have some confidence um in the fact that you're going to be able to entertain people and i always used to do a i still do it uh, i had a little trick that i would kind of play on myself you see like before a football game, um, you see all the players in the tunnel, and they're not just standing around, you know. They're jumping up and down, and they're banging each other in the head with their helmets, and they're, you know, smacking each other on the on the shoulder pads, and they're getting themselves fired up for what they're about to do on the field. And I do the same thing. I started learning that. Way back when, before I ever got signed to a record label, I would I would literally psych myself up to a point to where I literally would tell myself, I am the best in the world at what I'm about to do. There is nobody on this planet that is any better at doing what I'm about to do on that stage than I am. Now, in reality, I know that's not true, but... I had to psych myself up that way in order to get up enough confidence and enough courage to be able to go out on stage and entertain the way that I wanted to and the way that I do. And um, But aside from that, as soon as you come off of that stage, as soon as I come off of that stage, I realize there's a whole hell of a lot of people that have been a whole lot better at at what I do than me. Uh, there's a whole lot more talented people in this world. There's a whole lot better guitar players. There's a whole lot better uh, singers. There's a whole lot better songwriters. But I just happen to be fortunate enough to be in the right place at the right time and have just enough of whatever moxie that it took in order to be able to kind of rise above and have a, a successful career and there is nobody on this planet that was more shocked by the success that I had than I was and uh, nobody that was more appreciative or is more appreciative of it than I am but yeah Charlie Daniels his his focus of course when I first got started you know I was young and single and and you know I didn't really have that much of a connection to what it meant to be a father and a husband and and all those different things, you know, devoted. But when I got married, when I met my wife in 95 and we got married in, in 97 and then started having kids in 98 um, and went on to have three children, um, Man, it changes you. It changes your your whole perspective. And I really understood uh, where Charlie and 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 other heroes of mine, Johnny Cash and Waylon Jennings and people like that. The one thing that I noticed about Charlie and Waylon and Johnny Cash was that every time you saw them somewhere. Live and I went to a gazillion show, played a bunch of shows with all of those people. And anytime you saw one, their significant other was somewhere close by. In other words, if you went to see Johnny Cash, June Carter's somewhere close by. You're going to see her too somewhere during the day. Waylon, Jesse, same thing. Charlie and Hazel Daniels were 
sort of welded together at the hip. I mean, you everywhere that Charlie went, Hazel was always somewhere close by. And that really was a a, a great um, example of okay, this is this is something that he obviously is putting a lot of emphasis on. All those artists were. And it was one of the reasons why in a in a business where relationships tend to come and go and long-lasting marriages, especially at that particular time, didn't seem to be uh, normal in this business. Um, those were the relationships that had lasted, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years um, because of the fact that they put a lot of emphasis on family and uh, and and keeping their marriages together and keeping things working. And uh, it was a it was a great template to follow. So, yeah, absolutely. One hundred percent. And I, you know, I learned so much about. You know, just treating people the way that you want to be treated from being around Charlie. Um, that was that was a big thing for me because, once again, I know how much it meant to me to be treated that way. And for him to go out of his way to extend a courtesy and, and offer his help or his advice anytime I needed it. And I've tried to pay that forward um, ever since those days when I first met Charlie, I've tried to pay that forward by doing the same thing. If, if I'm, you know, I'm not going to horn in on anybody and, and try to force my opinions or advice or whatever. Um, but if anybody comes to me, any new artists that I work with and they come to me and they ask me for advice or whatever, uh, I always want to give it. And we always want to try to make sure that we take care of the people that we work with on tour as best we possibly can give them as much um, of the same courtesies that we would expect or that we would want when we're out on tour. I want you to know that you do have a picture perfect family. When I look at you and your wife and your kids, you guys look the part, but you also look very happy. But with that, there's also the part of hardships and heartbreak and all of the normal things. Travis Tritt is a superstar on stage, but he's still just a human being that right. deals with these emotions on a daily basis. Give me some insight, Mr. Travis. Your daughter is in the business now. Your son yeah. has a great band. Yeah. How do you parent this? Like if I talk to a UFC fighter, I'm like, do you really want your son or daughter to get in the octagon and make their living this way? And the answer is always <laughs> the same. I'm not going to push them into it, but if no. they go down that road, I'm going to support them and hope they never get hit as hard as I did. How, how, how does that conversation take place? Because you know, dang well, Mr. Travis, this is not an easy business to make no. it in. How do no. you parent? How do you parent that? Because you said that you will give advice if asked for it. What advice mm -hmm. do you give your own children when they're trying to follow in your footsteps? Well, first of all, when 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 my kids were really small, both my wife and I made a point of teaching our children that the only limitations that they have on them are the ones that they put on themselves. And if anybody is a a perfect example of that, it's me. I mean, I came from nothing and uh, managed to work really hard and uh see that hard work pay off more than I ever expected for it to. But um, 
we've always encouraged our kids to follow their dreams, whatever those dreams were. And I have to say, I am extremely proud, I think any father would be, when your children choose to be a part of the family business. You know, that's that's especially if you recognize that they have some talent or some ability to be able to succeed in that business. And once again, there are no guarantees, but I've I've just taught my kids, you know, that want to be part of this industry, um, you know, always work on improving yourself. Always, never stop, never stop, never give up, never take no for an answer. Um, always strive to to be the best you possibly can. Anytime you have an opportunity to go out and do anything. If you have an opportunity to record, you have an opportunity to write uh, or write with new new writers that you've never written with before, take those opportunities. Um, you get a chance to go out and perform in front of an audience. I don't care if it's five people or 5,000. Go out and do it because those are those are things that you're going to not only – get a lot of gratification from, but you're going to learn something from those experiences. And one of the biggest things that I see today is I see um, quite a number of of new artists that they release a, a single or a song that does really well, gets them a lot of attention, and they go out on tour and you you go up and talk to them and say, well, you know, how, how's it, how's this feel for you? You know, oh, it's man, it's, this is weird because I've never toured before. What? You've never toured before? No, I've, I've never played live really for anybody before. Uh, this is, this is my first time. And I feel almost sorry for artists like that because they missed out on so much. I had so much information in my head before I ever even came to Nashville uh, back in the 80s. I, I had played so many bars and clubs and honky-tonks and beer joints and bowling alleys and pool halls and and all these different places. And I played some rough places back then, too. I mean, I played places that if you didn't have a gun or a knife at the front door, they'd give you one so everybody would have an equal shot. <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, Every one of those experiences, even though I I would not want to go back to those days, but those days were extremely important to me. And I still, every time I walk on a stage, I draw on the information, the the lessons that I learned from playing those places for so many years before I ever came to Nashville. And by the time I got to Nashville, I knew exactly who I was as an artist I knew exactly who my audience was and what they would and would not accept from me. And that kind of gave me the direction for knowing which direction my music needed to take. And I knew from my experiences with those live audiences, I just knew how to make it work. And uh, I knew what they were looking for and I knew what I wanted to give them. And so anybody that doesn't have that experience and doesn't have those those opportunities to learn that way i feel like they're kind of at a disadvantage and i i I really mean it when i say i feel sorry for a lot of them because they will never have that confidence to be able to stand up to 
all of these different people, record labels and all these different people that are going to try to tell you, oh, well, you need to change and you need to do this and you need to do that and you need to be this and you need to be that. And this is the way your music should be. If you don't know any better from personal experiences on your own, you're just going to take their word for it. And they might not always be right. As a matter of fact, most of the time they're not because nobody in this business has a crystal ball. So... I just I try to encourage my children by just letting them know what my personal experiences were and give them the the advice. Here's the information I have. Here's what I've gone through. But you need to have your own personal experiences in this business to figure out what your direction is. And I encourage you strongly to to follow that. You were not born into the family business as far as music goes, right? This was not your career path. You you had a talent. You played the honky tonks. You played the bowling alleys. You played the riverboats. You played the county fairs. You did it all. Then you get the guts to move to Nashville and try this for a living. You mentioned a crystal ball, Mr. Travis. How did you know? Did, was there a time where you're like, oh, it's changing? Was it the first time you heard your first song on the radio? Did a record executive come up and say, I know Charlie Daniels said that to you on that tour that night about, hey, I really like what you're doing. When did you know that things were getting ready to pop and you were going to be the one put, pushing those double doors open to a, a bigger dressing room? I think I saw it for the first time when I, because when I first started, I was just, it was just me and a, an acoustic guitar. Uh, up on stage and uh, I was playing any place that they'd pay me a dollar to play, you know, and uh, I really started noticing it, I guess, about two years into that process. I started doing that back in the early 80s. And um, in by 1985 or 86, I had built up a following that basically pretty much guaranteed me that any place that I played, uh, and once again, you now we're talking about small places, but any place that I played, there was going to be a line waiting out the door and probably around the building to come in and see us play. And one of the things that I learned early on, I, I, um, I was playing most of the gigs that I played at that particular time. They would hire me for like two weeks or three weeks or sometimes a month. And I would play Monday through Saturday. Monday through Friday, it was 8 p.m. till 2 a.m. And on Saturday, it was 8 p.m. till 3 a.m. or 4 a.m., depending on what the laws were as far as when the bars had to close. And um, I started realizing that I was having to compete with a lot of different things in a bar or a club or, or a restaurant or whatever. You're competing with a lot of stuff. First of all, you're competing with alcohol. Second of all, you're competing with, you know, people trying to eat dinner or trying to, you know, have snacks. You're competing with whatever sports game is on the big screen televisions, you know, in, in this place. Uh, every one of the places that I played, almost every single one of them had pool tables, pinball machines, dart boards. Um, and they would have like dart tournaments or whatever pool tournaments. So I was finding that by just having an acoustic guitar up on this little platform, this little stage over in the corner that, man, I was, I was becoming background music for these people and I wanted to get their attention. So 
um, early on, um, I went down to a local music store in, uh, in my, uh, hometown of Marietta, Georgia, and I bought a Fender Twin Reverb amplifier and a Stratocaster guitar, Fender Stratocaster. I never had played electric guitar before in my life. And they had something uh, at this music store I had never seen before, but it was a hundred foot long guitar chord. And I brought that back to my stage. And so for the first two sets of the night, the the eight o'clock show and the, you know, the nine o'clock show, I'm doing, you know, I'm playing James Taylor and John Denver and, you know, uh, George Strait and, you know, that kind of stuff. I'm doing, you know, basically a human jukebox, but I'm just doing acoustic stuff. By that third set, by, uh, by 11 o'clock that night, I'm breaking out that Stratocaster and I'm doing Johnny Be Good and I'm running out onto the top of people's tables in this in these clubs and these bars and places. I'm running out on top of their tables, kicking their empty beer bottles over and just making them pay attention to me. And the results were instantaneous. I mean, uh, I don't know exactly what what the the feeling was amongst the crowd. I, I imagine, though, looking back, that one of the biggest reasons that we had lines out the door was people were coming in and going, what is this crazy bitch going to do next? You know? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And uh, and it worked. It it worked. And I learned how to get people's attention. I learned how to establish a set list that would, you know, not be too high on the highs and too low on the lows. It would take people on, a, on like a roller coaster ride. Um, I learned how to deal with things when you break a guitar string or when the uh, microphone quits working or, you know, whatever, how to keep the patter up and keep the, keep the audience entertained and, 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 and keep them engaged. Uh, I learned all that from those, those experiences. So it was, uh, it was, uh, it was a great, it was a great time for me. I, I mean, once again, it's, it's hard work and there's a, there's a lot of things that, that go into it. I was my own, I didn't have a manager. I was my own booking agent. I was my own manager. I was, I was my own transportation guy. I was the guy in, in charge of getting, I was my own tour manager. I, I was re- responsible for getting the equipment set up every night, get it torn down whenever the gig was over. Um, I was responsible for getting myself paid and getting all the band members. Once we started adding band members in, getting them paid and making sure they pay their bar tabs and all these different things. So I'm, I'm doing all, I was my own lighting man, my own sound man. I was doing everything that you could possibly think of that I hire, hire people now to do for me. Um, and that gave me a tremendous insight. This is exactly how I want this done. This is the way that I've learned that I, that works best for me. I'm not, I'm not saying that it works best for everybody, but this, the way that I do things, I've learned by trial and error. This is what works for me. And, uh, so once again, those, those lessons were, were just totally invaluable to me. 
I love it. You talk about, you know, the business, you learn the business, you're almost self-teaching yourself the yeah. business. When it comes to the artist part of this business, there's so many different levels, in my opinion, of artists in country music or any genre of music. You In country music, you have a songwriter, you have a singer-songwriter, you have a strummer on a guitar, you have a guitar player, you have a band leader, you have a choreographer, you have all these different levels. You fit the bill of this package, right? In my opinion, you're doing all of this. I've seen you play guitar as wicked as they get. Like a lot of people probably would go to a Travis Trick concert and be like, what? Like, I, like I've been mind blown before. So how important was you, Travis, to, to be that guy that could do all of it to where you weren't just strumming a guitar and singing lyrics, but you wrote the lyrics. Your, you, your voice is amazing, but now you can pick like freaking Jerry Reed. You know, that's, that's a big, those are big shoes to fill right there. I get it. But like, you're on that level of guitar playing too. And then you're leading the band, you're leading the audience, you're entertaining, you're kicking over beer balls. How important was for you to, I, 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 I assume some competitiveness is going into this with your inner yeah. psyche of like, I want to be the total package. Is that how it was? Absolutely. 100%. Um, I, you know, I always, I look back over, over my listening experience and my observation experience of other artists. And there's been a lot of artists that I really liked a lot, but the ones that really tend to be my favorites and the ones that really have longevity uh, are the ones that can do pretty much everything. You know, they can they they can sing, they can write, they can play an instrument proficiently, they know how to entertain an audience, and those are the ones that that not only seem to have a bigger career, but those are the ones that seem to last longer, uh, in my opinion, and. So I always wanted to just do all of that because that gives me a leg up uh, over my competition. Um, you know, there's there's not a lot of people uh, in this in this industry. I can count them on one hand that can walk into a um, a three thousand or 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 bigger seat auditorium with just an acoustic guitar and literally entertain people literally entertain them, keep them engaged for two hours or more. And that's something that I just I I I really put a lot of effort in and a lot of a lot of um thought into um and really worked at for a long time just to be able to 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 do that because it gives me the leg up. Um I know I would I was doing um I was doing a radio tour back um in the early 2000 i think 2001 i was doing a uh, a radio tour to promote a, a new album that i had just done with uh, columbia and one of the biggest things that we were hearing from from program directors at radio stations and and disc jockeys was that you know we we helped to create you guys as being stars in in the industry and then once you become big you never come back to see us again and so we established a radio tour where all we did i got on my bus had my driver 
And we went from one radio station to the next, and we were doing uh, two or three or sometimes four a day um, where we were starting. We were on the air early in the morning at, at drive time, 8 o'clock, um, and then going all through the middle of the day and then doing a drive time gig uh, on radio at, you know, 5 o'clock in the afternoon. And... The one thing that I discovered as a result of doing that was, first of all, that there's very few artists out there that can just walk into a radio station with a guitar and play and play something. Okay, I want to play two songs for you. Okay, I want to play a song that was a big hit that you've played on this radio station, and I appreciate that help. But I also want to play you something off the brand new album. But I want to play it for you the way. I wrote it with just me and a guitar. And that went over huge. Every single radio station that we went to, they would open up the phone lines for the for the people to call in and just, you know, chat or make requests. And every one of those places that we did that, every one of those radio stations where we did that, the the phone lines just blew up i mean they they it looked like a christmas tree um they were lighting up so much and i realized what kind of an impact that had and that gives me once again you're looking for a competitive edge in this business that gives you one right there to be able to walk in there you don't have to bring in two or three other acoustic players or whatever to be able to play a a, a radio station you you can go in and do it on your own and once again that's 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 one of the things that it it takes a lot of time or at least it did for me it took a lot of time to get up the nerve and the confidence and it took a lot of practicing you know a lot of wood shedding uh to get that confidence up to be able to walk in there and do that but once you see it start paying off and once you see it start uh, giving dividends back to you, uh, that's an encouragement. And it, it kind of lets you know that, hey, this is this was the, the right decision and the, the right move after all. Well, I would be one to attest or maybe even do a forensic audit or study of artists that came up with you that can still go out and do it the way you do it. To see you walk into an auditorium of 2,500 people and there just be a chair <clears throat> sitting there with two guitars. Yeah. And a bottled water and to see you do what you do and then hit that little part of the show when you do the Waylon tribute and yeah. you're so Waylon-esque and it's like, dang it, man, like this is harder than it looks. And that's so, that's so cool about the craft that you have mastered. Um, one of the things I wanted to tell you, and I don't want you to get mad at me for saying this because I know how close knit you are. <laughs> there was a time in my music listening career, Mr. Travis, that I got tired of listening to Hotel California. I got tired of the Eagles for some reason. I don't know what it was. But then all of a sudden I hear you. I was standing on a corner in Winslow and I went, holy God. smokes. Now, there's great cover bands out there. You can do covers, but you're not a cover band, but you did it better than the Eagles did. I don't want to piss you off by saying that, but you did. How important were the Eagles to you? Is the rumor that Travis Tritt was somewhat responsible for bringing Henley and Fry and the guys back together at one point in their career? Is that true at all? And 
were they one of the greatest rock bands in American history? Are they overrated? Are they underrated? Educate me, please, Travis, on the Eagles real quick. Those guys, uh, the Eagles, were the soundtrack of my life uh, growing up. I The first time that I ever did a lot of major things in my life, uh, these, are, these are normal things for normal, everyday, ordinary people. Everybody's gone through. I remember the first time that I ever drove my dad's car by myself. Uh, he let me have the let me borrow the car and go out. Eagles music was playing in the background. Um, first time I ever went on a date with a with a girl that I was I was smitten with in high school. Eagles playing in the background. First time I ever kissed that girl. Eagles playing in the background. Best of my love. You know that was that was so. Those guys were the soundtrack of my life, literally. And um, I was after in the in the early 90s, um, I was approached by um, Irving Azoff, who was the Eagles manager. I was approached by his management office to be a part of a tribute album that was done uh, with featuring all country music, current country music artists of that era. Uh, doing Eagle songs and doing covers of Eagle songs. And um, they were um, they were nice enough to ask me to uh, to contribute. And I think I was one of the last pre- people they asked because I they they said, would you do it? And I said, sure, I'd love to do it. And I said, what song you want me to do? I, how about can I do Desperado? Oh, no, Clint Black's already got that one. Well, can I do this one? No, Diamond Rio's already got that one. Oh, well, can I do this one? No, Alan Jackson's got that one. So I was kind of going through the list, and um, my attorney in uh, in Nashville said to me at the time, he said, why don't you do Take It Easy? He said that was their first number one. And I'm like, oh man, okay, yeah, that that makes sense. So I went in and recorded it, and then um, a few weeks later, they sent me the final mix, the final copy of the album, and I was just listening to all these different people. I mean, all the people that I just mentioned, and and uh, more, uh, you know, people like you know Trisha Yearwood, and just. Everybody's performances, I thought, on that album were just phenomenal. And then I got a a few weeks later, I got a a surprise phone call from Irving Azoff's office again. And they said, we have decided that your single, Take It Easy, we want to be the first single off of this album. And man, just Honored, you know, honored. And because it's the first single off the album, we would like to do a a video for it. What would you like to do for a video? Do you have any concepts in mind? And I'm like, whoa, guys. I said, this 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 is a huge, huge honor, and I appreciate it so much. I said, but, man, this album is so good, and it's so special that – Anything we do video-wise is going to have to be phenomenal. And they said, well, what do you have in mind? I said, man, I don't know. Let's get the Eagles back together. And there was dead (laughs) silence on the other end of the phone. And um, I was saying it kind of half-jokingly, but half not. And then uh, a few days later, 
Irving calls me and my manager back and said, listen, I was thinking about what you said the other day, and here's the deal. Um, I'm going to give you a contact information for Glenn Fry and for Don Henley. And it's going to be up to you. You're going to have to present the idea for the video, the concept that you have in mind to them. And if you can get them to agree to it, then I'm all all for it. But if not, we're just going to have to go some other route. So we did. We picked up the phone. We called both of them. And both of them said, man, this is not an album about the Eagles. Of course, that was during the time that they had been broken up for, I think, like 14 years. They hadn't played together. And they said, this is not about the Eagles. This is about a great album that you guys did in tribute to us. So Glenn Fry said, hey, if Don will do it, I'll do it. Called Don Henley. He said, if Glenn will do it, I'll do it. And we knew that once we got those guys in, that the rest of the band would probably follow, and they did. And the coolest part about it for me was is that we shot that right before Christmas. It was in uh, early December uh, or mid-December uh, of that year. And uh, we shot it in a little cantina in uh, Los Angeles. And most of the video was – uh, me and all the guys in the Eagles, Joe Walsh and Timothy B. Schmidt and Don Felder and, you know, all these guys, we were uh, doing B-roll stuff. You know, it's us shooting pool or us walking down an alleyway and even getting uh, arrested or, or stopped by the police and frisked up against the wall, you know, the whole deal. But at the end of the day, the the director – they had set up a little bandstand inside this little cantina, and they had live instruments. They had uh, several guitar amps, guitars, a drum kit, bass amp, all of that. And they said, we just want to get you guys just playing along to the track. And so I went over and picked up a guitar, and... Uh, got on the microphone and I just started hitting the first notes, the first licks of Rocky Mountain Way. Bump to bump to bump, bump, bump. And all the band jumped in and fell in right behind me on that. And I'm on a microphone, sharing a microphone with Joe Walsh, singing Rocky Mountain Way, where our faces are this close to each other, singing Rocky Mountain Way. And it was the first time that the Eagles had played together in 14 years, and I got to be an Eagle for a day. Man, <laughs> nothing tops that. That was the coolest thing God. in the world for me. Do you ever talk to Vince Gill and tell him that, hey, that's, that was supposed to be my job or something like that? <laughs> <laughs> you ever call Vince? Because Vince is a, another one of them guys that's a little bit unassuming when you hear Vince sing, and yeah. he's he's a genius, right? And then when yes. he plays the guitar, you're like, good freaking night, right? Like, the oh, guy's yeah. on a different level. But do you ever talk to him, and like he's like, man, Travis, this should have been your gig, right? I haven't had the opportunity. I've talked with Vince. I've seen Vince numerous times over the past few years, and 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 we've talked about other things, but we've never talked about that. But I, I've heard through the grapevine that Vince kind of feels 
the same way that I felt that day. It's just honored to God. be a part of something so big. I mean, as far as you mentioned earlier, did I think the Eagles are overrated? Absolutely not. These Those guys created some of the greatest, greatest music, not only of my generation, but of all time, as, as far as I'm concerned. And I think there's a there's a, a million people out there or more that would agree with me on that. Um, it was just impactful. So just to be able to feel that you're, you know, that you played a small role in um, um, that reunion. And, and I don't take any credit for that. I, I just wanted to do a cool video, man. That's all I wanted but to you do. But you were, you were innovative. You were creative. You picked up the guitar and they heard that and they couldn't help themselves. It's like, you know, it's like freaking showing candy to a baby or a little puppy snack to a puppy, right? They're like, oh, I can't just sit back now. He's he's coming with it right now. Like, you knew that. That's That, that was good insight right there. Well, they, they, you know, I just wanted to let them know more than anything else that how much they had influenced me. And I, I even told one of the scenes that we were talking about earlier, where we're just walking down this alley, all of us together walking, you know, uh, side by side. And uh, I just looked at, at Don Henley and Glenn Fry both. And I said, you know, I don't know how to tell you guys this. I said, but you guys are my Lennon and McCartney. I said, you guys together have created the music that has truly been the most. There, there's been obviously a lot of other people, but you guys created between the two of you, you, you wrote, co-wrote the songs that were the most impactful songs I've played a million times, Lion Eyes, Best of My Love, all these different songs that I played when I was just learning how to play an acoustic guitar, just to try to get some girls to pay attention to me, you know? <laughs> I mean, all of that stuff, man, it was it was just huge. And both of them just kind of, you know, they kind of put their head down a little bit, and then they just broke out into this big Cheshire Cat grins because... It's. I think it's always no matter how how big you get. I don't think anybody ever gets tired of hearing that. Uh, I know I certainly don't, Heck and no. it's it's a great honor, you know. And I just wanted to let them know that that they had meant so much, and their music had meant so much to me personally. Well, along those same lines, Mister Travis, you know, in a car wash, when you start to hear the beep, but you have the ability to add some more quarters, and the water keeps coming out. That's how I feel right now. And I, I don't know if I should like send your management an email right now with 10 minutes left and say, Hey, I can't hang up on Travis right now. You guys are going to have to come up. I got to be able to put some more quarters in this machine. I need some more soap bubbles. I need some more pressure washer. My truck ain't clean yet. I don't know if that's a good analogy of comparing the great Travis Tritt to a car wash, but I need some more time. I could talk to you for freaking days, man. Your insight is so amazing. But what you just said, Travis, is how artists feel about you today. I have a question for you. I don't, yeah. I don't mean this to be a, a trick question. I just mean this to see if you know what does these people have in common between Chad Belding and the great Travis Tritt, Brent Cobb, Adam Hood, Channing Wilson, Tim Montana, yeah, and Dylan Carmichael? Can you tell yeah. me what those individuals have in common with yourself and myself? 
I just met those guys, uh, most of them in 2019 and in 2020, in preparation for this new album, for the Set in Stone album that we just released. Um, Dave Cobb hooked me up with a lot of those guys early on because he told me, he said, before we even think about going in the studio and, and committing to doing this record, he said, I, if you don't mind, I would like to set you up with some of my favorite songwriters that I've used on everybody's albums from Chris Stapleton to Brandy Carlisle to Jason Isbell to whoever, uh, Sturgill Simpson, whoever. I just like would like to bring these guys in and have you write with them just to, you know, produce, see what happens. And um, we did. And the biggest, the big, I think the biggest surprise for me out of that entire experience was the fact that all of these young songwriters that I had never worked with before, basically every single one of them came in and told me how much my music had influenced them as they were kids and when they were younger. And that really, I know it's, it may sound weird to say this, but it shocked me because when you're an artist, you know, you're, you're trying to get your music out to as many people as possible. And you think about the audience as the audience. But what I didn't realize or what I didn't think about was the fact that in that audience, there's going to be a, certain number of those people that are going to be more than just fans. Those are people that are going to, at some point in their lives, want to pursue their own path in this business as either a songwriter or a session player or a, a singer or a, a recording artist, whatever it may be. And uh, it really took me aback a, a little bit. I, I, I was, I was really shocked. And as a matter of fact, the um, the the title cut for this album, Set in Stone, that actually was uh, a, a Brent Cobb idea. He came to my house. He was one of the first people. He was the first person actually that I wrote with for this particular album, and. Um, as he came to my house in Georgia, and when when he got to my house, he, he we sat down and we we just started talking, just kind of getting to know each other, and uh, finding out if we had anything in common, you know, that we wanted to say or wanted to write about. And he said, "You know, as I was driving over here, Travis, he said I I just couldn't help but think, you know, your career and how much." Your music has influenced me and and so many other people. And he said, "Man, you don't have anything left to prove, as far as I'm concerned. You you your legacy is pretty much set in stone." He said, "But I was thinking about that idea set in stone, and how we could maybe write a song that could apply to the everyday ordinary person um, that." has done something in their life, uh, great or small, but that they could look back on and be proud of at the end of the day, something that they would want maybe engraved on their tombstone. Um, I accomplished this, and this is one of the things I'm most proud of. And it could be something as um, 
as simple as I raised a family and I provided for my family for, you know, for the entire time or sent my kids to, to college or, or, you know, I raised some, some beautiful children and, uh, you know, my wife and I, or I kept a marriage together, helped keep a marriage together. Or, um, I, you know, I built this house um, or I built a business or I kept the family farm running, you know, uh, after my my uh, family, my, my father or my mother passed away. I kept the family farm up and running. Any, anything like that, anything you can look back on and be proud of as you get older. And um, that's where that song came from. This old heart, these two hands made a good life for this old man. You can call it passion. You can call it pride. Call it what you want, but I feel it inside. Same old fire burning like it did. Same old flame even when I was a kid. I finally come far enough to know living in the getting where you want to go. It's set in stone. And uh, so that's 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 where all of these uh, these songs came from was was basically that type of realization of 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 something that you look back on and you, you say you know I've had a pretty good ride it's been it's been a great ride and it doesn't seem to be ending anytime soon so I'm I'm just the happiest guy on the earth and one of the luckiest guys on the earth as far as I'm concerned. Well, you deserve it, my man. Um- truly deserve it you you just have it going on and the common bond is that they've all been on this show they're all friends of mine and when when i think of a brent cobb lyric i get chills i get tears i um and to know that somebody that with his talent level and adam hood mindset um the outlook that channing wilson has dylan carmichael was on the show yesterday and told the story of how his songwriting um, experience how it came about and with ben ratliff and cheese and all of these people and just how what's meant to be god is going to put you in that place for a reason and the timing has got to be there and i just look at it like to have somebody like the freaking Brent Cobb tell you what your career meant to them and what your catalog of music means to them, that should shake you up. And I know it does. And that's, oh, does. that's human emotion right there. So like yeah. when I hear that, all I want to do is like, I want to go to a Travis Tritt show. I want it to, I want it to be now. I want it to be tomorrow. It's like, you never want that to go away. And I think that that is set in stone because I remember that drum head I showed you in 2008. I remember that show vividly and I remember my anticipation and how I felt when I was watching and how I felt when it ended. And I just never want to let go of that. And that's what music means to me and your career, Travis Tritt is I, we haven't even got, here's what's crazy is that we haven't even got to your songs. Like there, that we, we didn't even talk about, I want to be somebody. We didn't talk about Daryl Scott, right? And it's a great day to be alive and how you took that song to the next level and made America know that today was going to be freaking rad. That's yeah. hard to do, man. And you've done it for so many years and it's just a blessing to, to have an opportunity to talk to you and to sit across the table like this from you. And my main goal in life would be to do it in person one day because yeah. man, they just don't make them like you, man. That's why Brent Cobb said it's set in stone, bro. Congratulations. Well, thank you so very much, man. I, I mean, once again, I'm humbled and honored and, and just thrilled because this is, this is, the only thing I ever wanted to do in my life, really, uh, is is just 
to write songs that mean something to people and entertain people, make them come to a show, forget about their troubles for a little while and forget about, you know, all these other things and come and experience. And that's what it is. Concerts are an experience. They're not just something that is just, you know, fly by night. And, and I think there's no greater reminder of just how important concerts are than what we've just gone through in this past year with the pandemic. Uh, People, I know me for the last year, I've been, you know, pretty much locked in at home um, and not able to go out and do what I love to do for a living. And I know the audiences, now that we're starting to get back out there and, and play again uh, on a regular basis, things are opening back up quickly. Um, I'm seeing the same type of feelings coming from the audiences the audiences they have been missing these experiences once again that word experiences of a live concert situation they've been missing that just as much as as i have so when you get that much anticipation and that much uh excitement built up over um you know 12 13 14 months I think, man, it's it's bound to explode when you get that opportunity to go back out there and do it again. And I, nobody is happier for those opportunities than I am. So I'm just I'm just uh, I'm very happy guy right now. I can tell, and I um, I didn't say this in the beginning, but our podcast is brought to our audience by the one and only Jack Daniels. And I have some really cool things going on with Jack Daniels in Lynchburg, Tennessee, Mister Travis Tritt, and I would like to be able to send you a bottle of a custom Jack Daniels that I just did with them. Um, if that's okay, I I've heard sure. rumors that you like a bourbon or a whiskey once in I a do. while. I, do. Um, I would love you. I would love you to have one. Um, and Thank you. man, I, I just cannot wait to get to another show. This album set in stone is so good. And it's so Travis Tritt. It's like 14 years, 13 years since the last studio album. And it's almost like it was just the continuation of a John Grisham book. It's so Travis Tritt. It's so unscripted. And it's just a badass 45 to 48, 50 minutes of your day that you can't turn it off, man. And I love, I love what you did. Congratulations to you Thank and you. all of the songwriters. Congratulations on the new tour. Congratulations on a great career and family. And man, I just, I, I can't say enough thank yous for being on here. Well, I appreciate it so much, man. Thank you for talking to me and thank you for having me today. It's, it's, it's been an honor and a Can, pleasure. Oh man. Thank you. Can you hold on one second while I turn sure. this off? That's sure. another episode of This Life Ain't For Everybody brought to you by the one and only iconic Jack Daniels, Lynchburg, Tennessee. Enjoy it responsibly. Never allow underage drinking. Get Travis Tritt's new album set in stone right now on all of your listening platforms. Get a ticket to his show. You will be mesmerized. Thank you all so much for the downloads, subscriptions, and listening to This Life Ain't For Everybody. Mr. Travis, can we go out with one of your songs? I don't under, I know I understand publishing and licensing, but can yeah. we go out with a new one off the new record? Do you want to pick sure. it or can, do you want me to pick it? You pick it. Okay, I'm going to go out with um, the the first one that I I fell in love with off the album. Y'all are going to love this. You got to listen to this song. It's written by Brent Cobb and Adam Hood, and Travis Tritt absolutely tears it up. Ain't Who I Was off of the new album, Set in Stone. Here's Ain't Who I Was by the one and only Travis Tritt. Thank you all very much. I suppose you know I can dig myself a hole 
I've been told time and again Yeah, the rumors are true But I ain't who I was back Finally proud of who I am now Cause I ain't who I was 